Welcome everyone to today's Sunday School lesson. We are in class number 11 in our Living as a Church seminar. Class 11 is Giving and Service, Sacrifice for the Sake of Unity, as you can see on your handout. And just as a reminder, the purpose of this class is God in His wisdom has left the task of displaying the glory of His perfect character through very imperfect people who compose His church. And in particular, our goal is to understand the opportunities and responsibilities that we have as church members so that real unity will exist and act as a compelling testimony to the power of the gospel. Let's open up in prayer and we'll get started. Father, we thank You for this time to hear from Your Word and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit working in us and through us for Your glory. And we pray that You would give us the strength that we need, not simply to persevere in faith and in our confidence with You, but in the strength that is needed to serve one another sacrificially, to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed and to reflect such for the glory of your name. We also pray in this time, as we need assistance and grace from you in the midst of uh, this infection, this virus, we pray for your grace to give your people rest and peace in this time, that you would still their hearts and know that we trust in the Lord and that the Lord, He is good and He does good. I pray that you would give us the strength we need to remain confident in you, that you would strengthen us as a church, and that you would use this and every other opportunity as a witness to proclaim the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and His work for us. And we ask this in His name. Amen. So I want to start this morning with a question as we've done in several other Sunday School classes, and that's this. What comes to mind when you hear the word worship? Maybe when you hear the word worship, singing comes to mind, or a corporate time of meeting on Sunday, where you hear preaching and prayer, and you see giving, and things of that nature. Or maybe you think of some kind of worship concert, and people singing worship songs. Well, I want to ask a follow-up question. And what's the relationship between worship and service? And I think, in practic- practically speaking, we default and almost see these as two separate categories. We have service, which is what we do for one another, and then we have worship, which is almost like separate times or times when we sing or times when we're with other Christians, and that, and that's our worship. But the Bible, I think, shows us a picture that all service is worship. Service is one major aspect of our worship. And the Bible shows this connection, I think, in, in several texts, and we're going to take a look at three of those. So open your Bibles with me and turn to Matthew chapter 4, and let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, where Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, 
in his interaction with Satan. And he says this, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. We see these two ideas, worship and service, almost paralleled or put together. But look with me also in Romans chapter 12 and listen to verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, in the New American Standard translation, it translates worship as this, or spiritual worship as this, your spiritual service of worship. And that's because this word that's used there, this word, it's, it's um, service, but this, this word that's translated service has such strong connotations of worship that the ESV actually translates it as worship. Or look with me in Revelation, in chapter 7, in verses 14 and 15. So you go to the back of your Bible, and we look in Revelation. And we're just showing the connection here of this idea of service and worship. So in Revelation chapter 7, and let's read verses 14 and 15. I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. And here we see this idea of serve in the temple, serving Him day and night. And so it has this strong correlation because worship is what happened in the temple And so, that is displayed with this word, serve. So, what I'd like us to do, as a part of our introduction, where we see on your notes, service is worship. And we're just going to take a quick look, do a quick overview. There's three major words used in the New Testament. I figure that might be helpful to help introduce this idea or expand on it a little bit more. And then we'll go into some of our major points. And we'll kind of walk through that outline here in a minute. So, Here are three of the dominant words that really make up the New Testament that are translated as the word service. We have latruo, doluo, and diakoneo. Now, the first word is this major word group for latruo, and it really carries this idea of service as worship. And so it's just normally translated as service, but has this really strong connotation of worship. And it's seen in... Um, specific acts of worship in the Old Testament, right, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, um, where these you have these uh, acts of worship used in the Old Testament. But then you also see a lot of times where it's used with a reference to idols, serving idols, right, a form of false worship. Our second word category is this word, doluo. And this word group carries this idea of service, but its emphasis and background is really associated with a slave or servant and a master, this idea of submission to another's will or or subjugation to another's will. 
And this word's used in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament to describe our worship and our relationship to the Lord. One example is Colossians 3.24, where we're reminded, brothers and sisters, right? You are serving the Lord Christ. And so we see this idea of service that we do with a slave and a master. But now our third category is this word group, diakoneo. And there's a couple emphases I'd like to touch on here. The first one is this idea of help or aid or assistance or meeting needs of others. Another emphasis is more broad, and it's this idea that all service is service that's rendered to Christ. That's what we see in John 12, 26, where this word's used uh, four times. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And another emphasis we see is this emphasis of using one's gifts, abilities, and calling. Here's a helpful text from 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. A common translation of this word, diakoneo, in the New Testament is ministry. And it's used to categorize the work of the apostles, right? We will read of the ministry of the apostles. And then it's also used to categorize the work of deacons. Deacon is actually a transliteration of this word for service, diakonia. And so with these three word groups, they're not the only three words used to describe service in the New Testament, but I think they're definitely the dominant. But it helps draw a picture of service and really bring out multiple perspectives for service. And so I think ultimately, on your notes, service is worship. It is worship as a lifestyle whereby we submit every aspect of ourselves to God in Christ and help and strengthen one another for God's glory. So with that, turn with me to Mark 10 in verse 45. Because I think this is a helpful starting place after that brief introduction with service. So in Mark chapter 10 in verse 45, we see Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here we see that Christ's service to us is the model for us. Christ's service to us is the model for us. Our service to others then is a result of an overflow of love from our hearts because of the love that God has shown to us in Christ. And this is what really unleashes ministry, right? It's this overflow of joy when we comprehend the incredible mercy that Christ has shown us, or as he says here, by giving his life as a ransom for many, for us. So this morning then, we're going to consider how God has called us to serve each other in the church through our various gifts, and how that service contributes to unity in the body. This unity is an important part of our witness, right? We think of this community full of people joyfully serving one another and how that should stick out in our world. 
So we'll hone in on service and gifts, that's point number two. Then we'll walk through four ways in which service can contribute to unity. Along the way, we're going to pause and reflect on some different ways that we can get service wrong and fail to glorify God in it. All in all, my hope is that our discussion this morning will spur us on to serve each other more and more for God's glory and for our good. So then, secondly on your notes, service and gifts. So we're going to look at two important texts. Let's look at the first one. So it's this text we briefly read earlier, and that's in um, 1 Peter. So turn with me to the end of the New Testament. Let's go to 1 Peter, and let's look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, where we read, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And here I think Peter picks up on, he, he provides two major categories with how we view gifts. He addresses these speaking gifts, whoever speaks, and then he addresses all other gifts, right? Whoever serves. But both have this purpose, to serve one another. And there's really something interesting Peter does here. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11 kind of serve as this summary or a theology, like a mini theology of service or ministry within the church. And so I want us to see five points. So on your notes, five important, simple, but important points. So one, each Christian has received a gift. This isn't something that's just reserved for people in leadership or who have speaking abilities, right? Where everyone just kind of is passive and you have a couple people that are active. No, every Christian has received a gift. Two, the gift is a result of God's grace, right? We see that in verse 10. Three, we are responsible to use that gift. Point four, we should use it for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. And lastly, fifth, we should serve through God's strength in Christ. So, as a Christian, there is some special manifestation of God's grace in you, which can build up others in the faith and bring glory to God. So, that's going to lead us to our second text, and that's from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. So, turn a little bit to the left, if you will, and let's go to Ephesians, chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 12 and 13. But I want us to answer this question. What's the purpose for your service? And so Peter's kind of hit on some purpose statements. But now we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4. And it's just going to expand on this. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. So Christ has given to the church these things. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so, we see this purpose. It is not 
simply helping a part of the church, but it is to strengthen the whole body. And it's not just to help one gain maturity, but it is to help the whole body. And in so doing, the body grows in unity. In fact, we could even say that the purpose is to help the body in unity. That there's this idea of unity that we see in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So God gives gifts to all of us according to his grace. They're to be exercised in his strength. And it's not primarily as a means of fulfillment for us as individuals, but it's for the maturing of the church, that the church might grow in unity and that with each member. But that brings us to service done wrong, number one. And here, this is the person who feels entitled to serve in precisely the way they feel they've been gifted and who fears they can't find fulfillment as a Christian if they're not serving in that way, right? They have this identity confusion, right? Where their identity is found in the fulfillment of this one gift and not in union with Christ, right? And then that kind of misconstrues because then the goal of their service becomes personal fulfillment when what this text says, the goal of service is strengthening the body, And really, I think the best thing that we can do is just to roll up our sleeves, get serving, instead of sitting around and wondering, well, what's my gift? I really think the way we see and discover our gifts is through our ministry or our service as we we serve one another. And that'll become obvious not only to us, but to to those around us. So that kind of leads into point three on our notes here. How should we serve in a way that promotes unity? And so what should that service look like in a church? And what should our motive be for serving in the church? So we're going to hit on four points, as you can see on your notes, to answer these questions. First, we should serve in God's strength and with great joy. Right, we kind of go back to 1 Peter 4, verse 10, when we read, Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So, I want you to picture two people considering whether to come help clean up the church right on a Saturday. And at once, you know, thinking, hey, I'll go do this. Yeah, I'll score some brownie points with the leaders. It'll make me look good. Uh, I'm good at this, Uh, I might be able to impress some folks, and so he shows up, grumbles about, you know, not having the right tools, and just talks on and on about his abilities, and so he works, but his work isn't done in reliance on God's power, his attitude lacks the spirit of joy and gratitude, and his desire really is just a form of man-pleasing and the fear of man, looking to just impress others, and so then from an intention standpoint, Right, that is shadowing really the service that's with the aim of wanting to please and glorify God. But I want us to consider, as a contrast, maybe a second person. And, you know, he's hoping to uh, help with cleanup. He's been under the weather um, previously. You know, he's feeling better. And he thinks, man, I just, I would really like to bless the people that I serve with to get to go to church, maybe just encourage someone or even just, you know, 
be able to help, you know, pour coffee or, uh, or just, you know, sweep up whatever might need to be swept. And so he prays, wakes up that morning. He feels good enough. You know, he's like, hey, I'm going to go. Gets to help with the cleanup, right? Does it well. But, but even that service, right, even whatever it may or may not be, really the key, th- key here is uh, while he's doing it, or he's exuding this joy, this sense of gratitude, and it really is promoting unity, and I think in that, uh, really glorifying God right, from that attitude standpoint. And, and I think that gets to something that's really important, right, even though these are probably more extreme examples um, it's not simply that we use our gifts, but it's how or the manner in which we use them. And God really wants uh, that to be with a cheerful reliance on Him. And, and I think that attitude really kind of carries over with our time, our money, energy, work, etc. Um, uh, and what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9-7 I think is helpful here. Right, where he's talking about something financially, but I think by application, I think it applies. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Right? God doesn't want us working out of out of guilt or compulsion, but really wants us to serve and to do so with this joy with this cheerfulness about it, right? And so that brings us to service gone wrong number two. And that's serving out of guilt rather than gratitude. And I want you to just think with me for a minute. What does guilt-driven service say about our view of the things of God? It says that they're not more valuable than other things in our life. But we say, but you know what? I still need to do it. And it really kind of gets at the heart there um, where uh, we're thinking, man, I really don't want to have to do this, but I really need to um, because God said so. And I think as Christians, we all kind of go through this, right? But that's not the ideal. The ideal is for us not to be guilt-driven, but for us to think, man, what a joy that I get to go serve the Lord in this capacity. And we really operate more to that sense of grace and gratitude. So then, second on your notes, I want you to see that we are to serve in the knowledge that everyone's service is needed and valuable. One obstacle to the body of Christ functioning in a way is when members feel useless and unimportant. And, and I think what can even make it more disastrous is what it can result in. It can result in uh, members envying the gift of others or even having a bitterness toward God. Why isn't my gift like his or why isn't my gift like hers? And it's really important for us. Turn with me to the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul rejects this idea of uselessness in the body. And he's going to use it with this picture or image of a body with many parts. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let's look at verse 17, right? Where Paul's talking about this diversity of gifts that the Spirit has given the church. And so Paul says in verse 17, 
if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And I think this is really, really, really important. Right? We go back, no, so, so two things, right? We see Paul just rejects this idea of uselessness. Every part is important to the whole, whether it's visible or invisible. But secondly, and I think this really kind of gets at the heart of the matter and how we help deal with that heart level and engage at a heart level with service and this idea that our service is useless or unimportant. And that's in verse 18, where it says, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God is sovereign. He is sovereign in his designing of all the parts of the body, and he does it for our best interest and for his glory. So what does that mean for us? Well, that means that we should serve in the church where we can and use our abilities, time, talents, uh, position, power, etc., for his glory and for the aid of others. We should thank God for the gifts that he has given us. And I think we shouldn't feel useless or discontent merely because we are not serving in some particular way or capacity. Right? Every part is crucial to the health of the church. And here, this can be helpful. And I, and I really enjoyed how the guys at Capitol Hill brought this out. Right? You think of different members and what they have more than others. And so for some, some others might be rich in time, others in resources, others in relationships. So those who are rich in time, they then can serve the body and build people up through acts of service, right? And that can be expressed in so many ways where they can go serve and bless others with the time that they have. Maybe it's resources, and so it's particularly supporting the church or missionaries or mercy ministries, you know, poverty alleviation, or um, some kind of disaster alleviation, uh, where they can go and use those resources. Maybe it's people that are rich in relationships, and so there's that building up of friends, or mentoring, or providing a home away for home for college students, right? Just practical ways that we can go and express and use and serve one another with the gifts and abilities and positions and possessions we have. So that kind of leads to service gone wrong number three. We give up serving because we don't see our contribution as important. Right? And we must never understand our service to God as valuable primarily because of the temporal end result. And that's so easy for us, right? It's so easy to walk by sight and to not walk by faith. But in reality... What is primarily valuable is what the sacrifice says when we serve one another about God's value to us. Right? This Godward trajectory, because our service is saying, God is of this much value to me.
And so we're going to continue on in section three, how should we serve in a way that promotes unity on the third point now. We should use our gifts humbly. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's going to kind of go on the flip side. And he's going to encourage, so right, um, uh, so Paul encouraged members who might feel like they have nothing to contribute to go and serve one another, right? Especially more of those invisible parts, parts that aren't visible. But then he also cautions those who have been given great gifts of greater responsibility to exercise those gifts with humility. So let's continue and let's read in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And so, this is really crucial, that we show our humility. Maybe you've been given a gift or a responsibility or an opportunity to serve that gets more attention or has more of a, uh, an influence or a power in the church. But that's not the way that we should think of it. We should think of it as a greater opportunity to bless those and not to see um, ourselves in a position of superiority or to walk around and think that we have this prominence and people need to bow at our feet. But in reality, we should be thinking, how can this be used to service and bless my brother or my sister in Christ? And, and think about the flip side of when this doesn't happen. And this is, this is a shame because we're all prone to this. Right? People become territorial over a ministry or maybe bitter about not getting that opportunity, maybe suspicious of someone who might suggest a change to a ministry. And all of these can be really devastating and hurtful to the unity and the forward progress of the church and the mission of Christ. So our calling then is to recognize and honor the service of all members, no matter how visible or invisible, no matter how seemingly significant or insignificant that service might appear to be. And really, I think there's, there's an obligation on all of us to encourage and acknowledge and affirm in one another, especially the service of those where the parts are more invisible, are more behind the scenes, to really give encouragement and to thank those brothers or sisters for that service. So now let's look at service gone wrong number four. Grumbling that others are not doing, quote, their fair share. And maybe this, is, this, is, this has happened to you as it has to me, where we become serving and, and helping, and then after doing this for a while, we look at others who may not be serving in a similar capacity or, at the same, or to the same extent, and then we think, well, how come they don't, they don't do that much? They're not, they're not pulling their weight. 
But I want us to step back and think, where does that attitude come from? And maybe it's from a poor understanding of uh, constraints that others are, are under. Maybe it's just a proud heart that's confusing personal worth with the amount of service. Maybe it's uh, an assumption that others are just willfully neglecting service rather than compassionately giving people the benefit of the doubt. Or maybe it's that they might not know the joy that comes from sacrificial service. But in any case, not knowing their heart, I think the, the solution has is, is got to be humility. Right? We recognize we're not any better because we serve. Right? We're all saved by grace. We all alike deserve God's judgment. And we have been rescued so that we can now serve Him and proclaim His praises. So then fourth on your notes, going under the theme of how should we serve in a way that promotes unity, we should serve to glorify God and to benefit others and ourselves. And we've touched on this point, but we want to address it explicitly. There's benefits both for ourselves and for others, and most importantly, for the glory of God. So, as like a mini bullet to that, when we serve faithfully, God is glorified because we're simply returning what is His back to Him, right? Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including the strength and times and the time that He gives us. And that's why to think about service, we need to think about this as our whole lifestyle, right? We give, we give God everything, all time, and all service is an aspect of worship. All service is worship. And we're using all of creation, all the things that God has made, for their intended purpose, which is this, to bring glory to God. But serving also directly benefits others. And we kind of hit on that with that third major word group, that word uh, diakoneo, right? This service or help or aid or assistance to one another. And that really does help, right? Think of the encouragement that is found from that brother or that sister when they're served. Um, And uh, just what a joy it is to see their joy in our service to them. But I think that that also has this effect of reverberation. It's not something that just goes to them, but it also comes back to us. Because as we grow in our service and we become less and less self-focused, there's, there's, there's a way in which the Spirit then grows our joy in seeing the joy of others increase. And so our joy is heightened as the joy of our brother or sister is heightened through our service to them. So then on the flip side, kind of brings us to service gone wrong number five. And that's, that's, that's um, this idea where little service happens because our heart has been captured by the joy of this world. And really, I think at the heart of that, the world sells us this lie, that a life of self-indulgence, self-focus, right, this idolatry of self on the throne, and everything else exists for our pleasures and purpose. And that is what's going to bring us greater joy When that lie is believed, that really has this stifling effect on service. 
And we've seen that happen in our own lives, right? Where uh, our priorities start to get mixed up. Uh, we really start to emphasize and, and see things from this grid of, well, how do I benefit from that? And really what's in it for me? And, and how does that fit with what I want? When really, uh, all that we have and, and, and who we are should be directed towards Christ, right? And that relationship we have in Christ and the delight we take in our union with Christ. So then, uh, in a similar capacity, right, service gone wrong number six is serving only when it is seen as acceptable in the eyes of others, right? And, and this, is, this is similar, just going back to that point, really our service is a form of worship and therefore it's to put God on display and to show God is glorious. God is the famous one, right? Instead of it being what pleases others in front of me, what's acceptable to them. So fourthly on our notes, right? So we, we had on service and gifts. How should we serve in a way that promotes unity? Now fourth, persevering in doing good. And I just want to point out two points of application here. So the first is persevere in your service through the power of Christ. And hear this from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 in verse 13. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. And I think there was a a temptation in the church at Thessalonica where saints had been giving and helping and serving the body there, and there were some who were taking advantage of it and not working. And I think that could have this wearisome effect, right, with, with wanting to continue to do good, right, especially to those to whom service is really needed. And, and this happens, right, and I think if we're honest and have been in the Christian life for any amount of time, uh, we've sensed this in our own heart, right? It's that battle where uh, there's this sense of this heaviness with service. And we do, we tire. Um, and, and the temptation is we want to pull back or just stop. And when this happens, we're losing sight of the larger goal of, of serving God. And, and I think it can happen because we get caught up in some of the details or the busyness of ministry and serving that we end up neglecting the relationship that we have with the Lord, right? And kind of feeding that relationship, that personal care, if you will, that comes from being in the Word of God and, um, and prayerfully reading and meditating on the Word and applying it to our, to our own heart, not just reading it for knowledge, but but reading it to know the Lord and to grow in our relationship with Him. And in that meditation, I think our love for Jesus grows. Um, it helps to right, really transform and get back to, uh, I want to serve the Lord because I look at what all the Lord has done for me. And I see redemption. And, and, and that, just, that just urges me, it compels me to respond with, service to Him, service as a form of worship. But I think there's a, there's a, there's a flip side to this, and, and I want to be careful here, because uh, I think burnout is real. And so that kind of introduces uh, service gone wrong, number seven, and that is this, exhausting ourselves in service because we rely on our own strength 
And, and here, in even, and, and, and wisdom can probably be included in this category, when we just think, well, I need to just go, 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 and it's okay for me just to be completely worn out, and uh, where that's going to really diminish uh, my service to the Lord in other areas of my life. And I think that's the danger, right? Where we can, uh, if you will, you've got you know two sides of uh, of this pathway, um, and we can sometimes be so afraid to go over on one side. We're like, well, man, I don't want to be lazy. I really want to serve the Lord. Where we can miss it. There's there's also uh, a drop off on, on the other side, where that is that we can we can have burnout, where we just are so exhausted and and physically worn out that we're we're, we're losing. Um, in other areas of our life where the Lord should be honored. And, and it's because we're not being or having a sustainable model for ministry. And really, I think this requires wisdom. And I, and, I, and I pray that the Lord would give you all wisdom as he would give me, that we would want to be, we want to hold this intention. We don't want burnout, but we want to sacrifice, right? We don't want this simple, easy Christianity, Right? It's, it almost feels passive, but we don't want something that really takes it so far that we're just always exhausted, and Christianity equals this tiresome uh, exhaustion that where, where people are burnt out and then they feel over it. That's not healthy either. And so may the Lord give us grace to really hold those two in tension and to hold a balance um, so that um, the, the Lord is honored in the way that we serve Him in a sustainable way long term. So with that, I, I think it'd be helpful just to maybe think with me for a minute about some of the ways that we can, uh, in, our, in our perseverance, um, uh, in persevering and doing good, I want, to, I want us to think secondly about some of the formal, like we can see on our notes, some of the formal and informal service opportunities. And so I think from, uh, from a formal standpoint, go and ask uh, one of the deacons or one of the elders and just say, hey, I want to help serve more in the church. Right? What, what, what could that look like? What are, what are ways that I can be engaged uh, or, or help? Or, right? or kind of listen for some of those opportunities as they may be announced um, as a part of the announcements in Sunday service. But I was just thinking of you know, some, like maybe, maybe it's giving rides to people who need rides to church or hospitality, and opening up your home, and making a meal for a family, um, uh, you know, bringing them in, or maybe it's making meals for others that may be sick, or can't care for themselves, or had a new baby, uh, maybe it's ushering, or sound ministry, or helping with uh, youth, youth ministry, and Sunday school, maybe it's, you know, helping set up weddings, or childcare. there's just so many different ways that we can serve in a formal way that really helps um, serve so that our other, our brothers and sisters are aided and strengthened um, in the Lord. But I, I would say that I think sometimes um, a more powerful ministry isn't in the formal ministry, but it's really the informal and the relational that we have by just being with one another, right? having someone over for dinner, or talking with someone after church in service that um, that doesn't normally get uh, ha- have other people that they talk with, um, and really just uh, just helping to build some of those relationships and using some of our gathering times as opportunities to help nurture and strengthen our brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
And I, I am thankful because I really do see that in our church and my, my wife and I and our children have been really blessed because I feel like we've been welcomed uh, to a great degree that way. And it's been super encouraging for us. And um, I just I just thank the Lord to see that at work and the Lord's Spirit bringing unity um, in our church and helping us to serve one another. So then in conclusion, um, uh, may the Lord give us uh, decades of service for His glory. For almost 2,000 years, God's people have faithfully served in the church. They've been driven by the love of God and a desire to glorify Him. And uh, may, may, may the Lord make us more and more a people who are driven to serve because the Lord Jesus Christ has served us supremely. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time to be in your word, to be strengthened, but strengthened so that we might serve and that service as a form of worship, worship to you. But it will be worship with the intent of helping strengthen and aid and assist our brothers and our sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. May you give us that strength by the Holy Spirit and glorify your name now and forevermore. Amen.